helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we get the opportunity to speak with a phenomenal lady who sees no obstacles and loves a challenge. Growing up and living in Saudi Arabia, where gender equality is viewed from a different lens than many other parts of the world, she has created a highly successful dental business, Dentalia Clinics. Her tenacious, determined and open-minded approach to the world allows her to take on opportunities that many other people would never dream of and be highly successful. Alongside her entrepreneurial ventures, this beautiful soul and beaming light is an associate professor at King Abdulaziz University, trustee on the board at Tufts University, and in 2018 became the first Arabian female to qualify and complete the Ironman World Triathlon Championships in Kona, Hawaii. Ben and I are happy to introduce and welcome to you, our very special guest, Dr. Dina Al-Tayeb. Dina, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Very nice to to talk to you again. Um, you and I, uh, you know, met in Saudi Arabia many, many years ago. So I'm uh, very happy to be um, here in the show. And thanks for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, you've developed a, a highly successful dental care business, uh, Dentalia Clinics. When did you first get excited about becoming a periodontist? Um, and how did your dental career start out? Well, if you do, if you do know my personality, you know that I uh, I'm a, a very goal-oriented pe- uh, person. So uh, so ever since I was young, uh, we once visited a, um, a dentist in Switzerland, and I thought it was very exciting. His office was exciting. There were lots of tools, lots of drawers that opened, and that's when I set my mind on it. I said I'm going to be like this one day. So I've always wanted to be a dentist. Uh, that was my dream. I finished high school, um, I got married first, then I went to dental school. Yeah, well, and dental school is quite a few years too. It's, uh... it, was a, it was a long journey. Uh, it was a long journey. And, and after that, when I was in dental school, on the first, my first few years, I met this, uh, this phenomenal predontist, our, our, one of our professors. She was young, she was, she was enthusiastic, she had a charisma, and I just, again, set my mind on this, and I said, I wanted to be a periodontist. It was not an easy journey, because by then I had three kids, and I had, you know, my life was, was full, but I um, found a way to continue my studies. It was a long journey, but it was a beautiful journey, and one day I got my certificate, and I was a periodontist. So, Dina, for Craig and myself uh, here in Australia, um, maybe just fill us in a little bit about how large the, your Dentalia clinics are and the number of people that you might employ and um, the sort of structure that you might use to uh, run or be an entrepreneur in, in another part of the world. Uh, Dentalia, clinics, uh, Dentalia clinics is about a 12-year-old business now. Uh, so we have started, we, we were all the same, my, I have four partners with me, three partners, we're four, four all together and we are all classmates. So we all went to the undergrad uh, dental school here in Saudi Arabia. Everybody then went to the US, UK, and we came back uh, and then this idea of Dentalia clinics came. 
but it's, it, at that time, uh, it was a, it was a, mo- a very modern concept. We were the first paperless clinic. We were the first clinic to have um, a digital software to incorpor- incorporate the accounting, the uh, patient's care, the charts. Uh, so we had, a, we had at that time a, a completely new concept. Um, we Most of us were at that time um, a university professors or university faculty. Uh, so uh, we started uh, this clinic. We, we were really focused on having on delivering the highest standard um, in t- to the to the clients in Saudi Arabia, and, uh, and I think we were successful in doing that. And now, about twelve years later, we have over a hundred thousand uh, patients. Uh, we have about um, twenty um, uh, between full time and part time. Uh, doctors that work with us. We have um, in in this existing fac- uh, facility. We have uh, over thirteen clinics uh, that w- that uh, we work from um, nine in the morning till ten at night. So we do see a lot of uh, of patients, and uh, and I think we're still uh, as successful as as we were twelve years ago. And that that's obviously grown very quickly because you've got thirteen practices now, and you've just been in operations for twelve years. That's that's a credit to your vision and your drive. Uh, uh, yes, I, I mean I'm, I'm lucky to to work with uh, with three other partners. We all share share the same vision. We look at Dentalia as a Dentalia family, not just a clinic. So so everybody that comes that work work with us share the same vision. They all feel that this is a family. Our our patients, uh, um, our suppliers, they all they all feel that this is the, they're loyal to this uh, um, to Dentalia, and we we re- really proud of this. We're proud of what we built, we were uh, we were chosen a few years ago as uh, one of the fastest hundred growing companies uh, in Saudi Arabia. We, for two years in a row, we received an award for this. So wow. uh, it's great. It's a, it's a it's an exciting business. We're still now even with more competition, there's still a lot of room to grow. Um, we 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 work um, at a high standard, and, and we we're focused on just keeping the same high standard, employing the, um, the the best doctors, having the best technology in this field. So that's a great achievement, and, and obviously, your business has grown, you know, as you said, relatively quickly. So has your role as a founder and owner of the business changed as the business has scaled, and you've increased the number of um, clinics? Uh, our role is still uh, the same. Our role, uh, my, I mean, it changes qu- quite a bit. I'm mostly involved in uh, in, in marketing, uh, in in promoting the clinic. I'm, I'm also quite involved in in having Dentalia as a, uh, to support a lot of sporting events because of my passion and because of, of uh, triathlon and what I do. We've always uh, sponsored the swim competitions. We had Dentalia marathon. Uh, we sponsored a bunch of events, so so my role is more focused on that aspect. And and just an interesting, different question here. So sponsorship of those events, do you see that as really good commercial, a, a good commercial proposition, or is it just something that um, yourself and your co-founders just like to put back into into society? I think it is it is a role where on, we promote health and wellness. And part of health and wellness, I mean, especially the the mouth and the oral cavity is, is linked to the overall health. So when you promote that, you promote that the people are more healthy. You, you promote even, you just set an example. We set an example by being there. I set an example by being an athlete in my dental clinic for, for my coworkers, for my patients, for my clinics, for, for, for my uh, you know, receptionist, everyone that works in the clinic, and for our clients as well. So I think it's just 
more of we don't look at it as as okay this is you know dollar versus dollar how much you put in how much you take but it's more of promoting health and wellness and and what were the biggest challenges and lessons learned when you're establishing the, the business the biggest challenge is you uh, you do invest a lot if you want it's it's not an easy you could go at a much lower quality and make much bigger profit quickly but that's not what we wanted I, I feel that the biggest challenge is we, as, as a dentist, a dentist is, is not selling a commodity, is not selling a service, but he's providing a service. So that, that to me, that role cannot be, cannot be shifted. We're not, we're not selling something. We are, we're promoting a service. We're giving a service to the client. And in return, there is, you know, in return, you get paid. But, the, but there, this, the, in my mind, this is a huge um, a challenge that needs to be kept. Everyone needs to be on board with this. You provide the highest quality, you provide the highest standard regardless of, of the economy, regardless of what happens around. You still keep your standards and you keep your values. So, so you talk about the highest standards and the highest qualities, which is exactly what high performance businesses do. But just, I guess I'd like to bring up, to be honest here, the world uh, or the word dentistry is a bit scary to most people. Um, how does your team ensure that people overcome the fear of dental clinics and, and just seeing their dentist? Uh, first of all, it changes by when you come to, to dentalia clinics, you look at it as a family. So it, this is not just uh, you know, a big clinic with white walls. So everything in the clinic gives you a homey atmosphere from the colors we've chosen, from the music that's playing in the background, from the, 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 even the doctors that we employ. We always look at the personality that fits the team, that fits the vision of Dentalia. Uh, so, so when you go in and you feel a little more comfortable because now this does not look like a normal hospital, uh, you get a little bit more comfortable. And if the doctor that works with you is highly skilled and will spend the time that is needed explaining to you the procedure or taking you through the steps that is needed, you, I think eventually you, you just got to give it a one or two tries. And most of the times the client changed their, their mind of, of how scary this experience can be. And when you use, that, when, when you use the, the latest technology, it, it makes the procedure simpler, less painful, uh, quicker. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think over time it's starting to get a little bit easier. And um, I think that whole atmosphere makes a real big difference. So, uh, you know, I think you're explaining there is that you're making everyone feel really comfortable and at ease. So that mm -hmm. they're kind of distracted a little bit from the actual dentistry work that's going on. That's our aim. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you talked a little bit about being the first sort of dentist business over there to go fully electronic. You know, what sort of other technology is really changing the way that um, you're able to do your dental work in Saudi Arabia? As, as the technology in the dental field is changing tremendously. Like the challenge, I think, is to know what is really beneficial and what is just a gimmick, just another you know gadget that you get in your dental clinic. I think laser is changing the the uh, how we perform a lot of procedures in in dentistry. Um, I think all the fast equipments, you know, like the whatever the drilling, the hand pieces, everything is getting faster. It's getting better. Uh, the materials, uh, um, implants, dental implants has changed tremendously how we do dentistry. So, so it is, uh, but I think, you know, our challenge or, or our, 
our um, expertise is to bring whatever is there in the U.S. or whatever is there in Australia, whatever is there in the U.K., here to Saudi Arabia. So whatever, if, if you travel and you go to the to a dental clinic anywhere else, you will find the, the dentalia clinics just as good. So wh- where would you consider the world leaders of dental cl- clinicians or dental clinics to be? I think the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, Sweden, uh, Germany, the U.K., uh, Australia as well. I mean, you guys have a good dental uh, school. We do send some of our students to Australia. And you talk about, you know, students there. I know you've you've been involved at King Abdullah Aziz University for you know twenty three or more years now, as both a teacher and associate professor. What is it most that you like about teaching? I mean, I can really feel that passion in your voice when you talk about the industry. What drives you? Um, as a as a teacher, what drives me the most, or the satisfaction that I get, is watching uh, the student, watching teaching teaching them, because I do teach them the same subject for for three or four years. So their transformation from day one when they're a little scared they've never been with a patient before until they graduate they're fully confident they've developed they've developed as a as a doctor they've developed as a human being so to me watching their that transformation is extremely satisfying and that's what keeps me going in the teaching business I don't think it's too dissimilar to Craig and myself who come from coaching backgrounds and that's certainly one of the joys that you you get from coaching, you see people's journey and their, their learning and their open mindset and what they're able to achieve as they've gone along that journey. That's correct. And if I do just, if I can inspire one student um, and if I can be a role model for them, that, that to me is, is the biggest um, gift that I can give ever uh, receive. And I do every now and then, you know, meet some of my previous students and they look at me and they're like, oh, you, we, you taught us about this and that changed our life and, and you know, or, or we saw you do your runner or we do some sort of activity. And to me, that is extremely rewarding and satisfying and gratifying at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, so as you evolve as a leader, you're now taking on more governance and advisory roles. What is it like being on the Tufts University Board of Trustees and how is that changing your perspective in your own business? It makes me, uh, it makes me realize really that all institutions, you know, all education institutions or, or businesses, they all share almost the same challenge. And the same, uh, the same issues that we discuss, whether we are here at the university or whether we are at Tufts or whether we are at the Board of Trustee meeting, almost everyone, it makes, it makes me really realize how, how different, but yet how similar we all are. Yeah, especially, you know, you're obviously, that's in the US and you're based in, in Saudi Arabia, so it must, it's just mm-hmm. really nice to get that different perspective. and. Uh, and, and I suppose that diversity on the board as well must be really interesting too. Yes, and if I can get something, you know, if I can get, uh, if I can learn something that would be beneficial that I can apply here to my clinic or to my, you know, give a piece of, uh, of advice or information to the university here, that, that's always an added benefit. But really, it was a big eye-opener to see how similar we are, <laughs> regardless of where we come from or what hat we're wearing or what, what you know, dress we're wearing. We're all the same. 
we're all just human being individuals that are looking to be better than looking to have our businesses successful and and trying to overcome the challenges that we face every day. It's interesting you say that because, as I said, Craig and myself from a coaching background um, enjoy that education, but also in this active CEO role, we've spoken to a lot of people now and the same theme continues to come through with leaders um, and it's something that we're learning as we go and we're quite passionate and it sounds like it's very it's very similar to what you've learned on your journey. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And, and are you starting to see more women starting businesses and taking up leadership roles in Saudi Arabia? Absolutely, yes. A lot of women, uh, a lot of very successful entrepreneurial businesses, whether it's home cooking, whether it's um, you know something they do, whether it's a shop, whether it's an idea, whether it's a, a healthy um, uh, store, uh, lots of different businesses. And, uh, and they're all very, very creative. Yeah, and is it is it like a catalyst to why that's starting to expand a lot more now? No, I think just that we have now easier regulations. The government is making it more easy for uh, for people to start their businesses. Uh, a lot of these these young people that went and you know went to school in the states and went to school abroad, they all came back and and they all want to bring the change that they've learned or, or the you know the concept that they've learned back to Saudi Arabia. But they're being creative because they're making it in a way that fits the culture, that fits the need of the community. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, as you say, that they're, they're starting to reduce some of those restrictions and it's been quite a monumentous year um, in a number of, you know, things such as women able to participate in more sport, physical education being made available for girls, and you know, and the ability to drive. So that must be really changing the game, so to speak, and, and allowing more females to be more active and uh, being more involved in the community. Yes, absolutely. It's a very exciting times. We're all excited. There's a lot of doors being opened. There's a lot of opportunities. And whatever idea you have, whatever passion you have, you can make it work. It's easier now. Uh, so I guess I'd like to move on a little bit about the triathlon side of your life and how you stay active and how you actually fit this in. Because you mentioned before that you have uh, three children. Um, so you have family, you have uh, business, your university studies, your board commitments, all these sorts of things. Yet we know the commitment it takes to be a triathlete. And so that just astounds me. Um, so can you just talk us through how you actually got involved with triathlon? I, uh, when I lived in the States, I've always liked outdoor uh, activities. And I've moved in my life, you know, and in, from martial art to tennis to scuba diving to a lot of different stuff. The common factor was that I've always loved the outdoor. Mm. Uh, so when I lived in the States, I started cycling and I was always a runner. And then, um, you know, by chance, I stumbled upon this world of triathlon. So and, and that was my first triathlon was in 2002. And I was pretty it was the whole idea was pretty new to me and um, and I, I never knew anything about Ironman and I thought that was an, an absolutely um, impossible challenge to do and <laughs> no one should ever let their body go through such a horrendous um, uh, experience but uh, you know I'm, as I love challenges I always look for something more so I started doing the small ones and every year I say okay what's next what's what's next until I found uh, Ironman and, and it, it inspired me it, it changed it, it honestly changed my life because what you go through in that day, in that full 
12 hour or 13 hour, whatever it takes you. Um, it cha all the emotions that you go through, all the determination, it's at the end you go to the, the battle between your mind and your body. And if your mind can win, your body can do anything. And you cross that finish line and you tell yourself, if I could do this, I could do anything in life. And whenever I'm faced with any challenges in life, I look at it, I'm like, okay, this is my Iron Man now. So I'm just going to have to be resilient and I'm just going to have to keep going and focus on what's important. And that's what's going to get you to the finish line. But you, every, day, every day you determine what is your finish line. <laughs> Where do you want that finish line to be? What is your goal and what is your priorities? Uh, I do wear, as you can see, a lot of hats. So I have the mother hat and I have the CEO hat and I have the, you know, the, the professor hat. And it, it, the time management becomes a little bit of, a, of, a, of an issue. What is your priority for the day? And I've really learned in, through this whole experience or this 15 years of, uh, of a journey that I've, uh, I've embraced is how to become fully present in whatever hat you're wearing. So if I'm swimming and I'm, I'm thinking of the business meeting that I'm about to have, my swimming is not going to be good. And by the time I get to my business meeting, I'm going to be stressed out that my swimming didn't, do, <laughs> didn't go well. So it's about being fully present in whatever you do, giving it your best. But if it, you, you're not going to be perfect then every, at everything. So every day you set the priority of what do you wanna, I want to do for this day and what hats deserves my attention. So talking about those hats, you know, did that change when you took on triathlon? Like, did you really find that you developed a lot more skill sets that helped you through um, your work in the business field and teaching? I think definitely the, uh, an Ironman journey is a long journey. Um, and you cannot do it. You, you cannot. You cannot do it without hard work. You cannot do it without training every day. You cannot have less than you know what six nine months of serious training. Uh, so you have to be prepared. And that in life, sometimes your challenges, or if you want to be successful at, at any business you choose, you you got to be prepared. You got to put in the effort that is needed to get to the finish line. And if you don't, you're going to realize quickly. You know, when the race, when the gun starts, when the race starts, you're going to realize like, oh my God. I should have been more prepared. This is not going to go well. <laughs> I think I think you might feel that each time you line up for an Ironman, <laughs> it's always I wish yeah, I was more prepared. What do you do? You do, yeah. but but sometimes, but you got to be also okay with. I've I've given it my best, given the situation, you know, giving your yeah. obstacles, giving the different hats that you had to wear through the day. It's just about being present and doing your best for that moment. So could you just explain a day to us? Like how early do you start and how does it pan out for you mostly? So I start quite early. I wake up early. Um, I like to have my morning relaxed time. This is the time when I just kind of ground, meditate, pray, and just set my priorities for the day. But that starts really early. And then after that, I do about an hour, an hour and a half of a workout before I, I go to work. I go to work typically and finish around five, six o'clock. I come home, you know, the kids, my kids are grown up now, so they come and have dinner with us. And then after that, it's just family time. Where my work stops at about five. I try and I, what I do is I always try to, like if I'm done with work, that's the end of work. Work doesn't come home again. And because that's again being, you know, wearing the hats. If you're not fully present at the family hat, then, then you just, life becomes messy that is so crucial and you know talking about journey before i think you know every triathlete every ironman athlete has a completely different journey and so for you obviously 
you have to look at ways to be quite innovative in the way you train, you know, the environmental conditions in Saudi Arabia, um, also the cultural values. How does that, what, what sort of considerations did you, do you need to take in, into place uh, when you're sitting your training and, and when you go about your training each day? Well, I, uh, when I started the, my triathlon journey, there was, the whole world of triathlon was pretty new. You know, look at it like 15 years ago. Uh, not not a lot of uh, not a lot of people uh, knew about triathlon. Not it was it was a pretty new sport. Uh, so at that time, even here, we didn't have as many outdoor facilities. So I did a lot of my training indoor. So I was on my indoor training for many hours. I was on my treadmill. Um, I was in the indoor pool, and and I've all I found this as a challenge. It wasn't a, a huge. It was just an obstacle. Each of us have as an obstacle. You know, you could be training in cold weather and you don't have the uh, the nice weather to be outdoor. You could be, you know, it could be very hot the other way around. So those to me were just a challenge that I had to do in order to get to the finish line. Nowadays, of course, things have changed. I have more opportunities. We could do, go, you know, running outside. There's, um, it has opened quite a bit, so it's it's much easier, much more enjoyable. My other, my other biggest challenge is that I was always alone. I didn't have a team to train with. I didn't have none of my friends knew any of any about this. So I was the only person in Saudi Arabia that did triathlon. Nowadays, there's more and more. It's more open, so it's more enjoyable when you have someone to share this experience with. But again, I, I thought to myself, this is my challenge. And if I want the finish line, I got to guess just um, be, be persistent and just do whatever I have to do every day. And it might not be perfect, but this is what I could do. This is what I have around me. So in those early days, you, um, you didn't have many people to try. What, what did your friends and your family think of this whole journey? They must have thought you were a little bit mm, crazy, so to speak. I think they, they just, even until now, they just don't quite understand. Yeah. <laughs> what is this, you know, but she's always doing something and she does these races, but we, I don't think, some of them, the close ones to me, do understand, but I, it's, it's different than, you know, if you do attend an Ironman, if you do watch it, it is a life-changing experience. So I think unless you change it, it's, hard, it's something very difficult to explain. So in 2005, you became the first person from the Middle East to complete a full Ironman triathlon, which is a great achievement on its own. This year, you achieved a goal that you've been focused on for such a long time and are very passionate about. Can you tell us what it was like, what, what emotionally did you feel when you qualified and then when you went on to race at the 2018 Hawaii Ironman World Triathlon Championships, which is the holy grail in triathlon? So, so um, in order because I train indoor, what I do mostly is I have uh, I have my the TV on and I watch these uh, DVDs about all the Kona Ironman. Every every year, Ironman produces a, a CD or a show about the journey. You know, the Ironman journey and who qualified and their stories and and their journey across uh, the finish line in Kona. And I've watched it. For more than 15 years, I've watched here from 19, I think 87 was the first year until 2017. And every time I watched it, I looked at it and like one day I'm going to be there. One day I'm going to be there. But the journey it was was difficult because I didn't have the I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the means. I I I was there on my own, 
And how am I going to ever be there? But I just, something in me said, you will be there. One day you will be there. And I've met a lot, a lot of people across, you know, during that path, during those 15 years. Some believed in me and some thought, oh, well, she's crazy. She'll never make it. She'll find something else to think about. And um, some said, oh, well, this is such a high, a high goal. Why don't you put something more realistic for you? And I, I said, no, this is my goal. This is no one else's goal. This is my dream. And this is the number one item on my dream. So when I qualified in Chattanooga, I just, I, I need to pinch myself and come back and say, oh, did I really make it? Am I going to be there? <laughs> so then when I got to Kona, I was faced with all these beautiful emotions. Like, am I here? So is this, is this, was my dream to be here or was my dream to do something else? And then just going through that, that experience, that race day, it was to me a huge celebration. It wasn't about the race. It was just a celebration of being on that corner land and running on the same, you know, pavement where all the legends did, swimming in the same water, just being part of that experience. And I embraced every bit of it. It was to me a, really like I, emotions cannot describe what I felt during that day. I was the proudest of of myself, and I. And everyone around me was, even the, whether they understood what I do or not, they always know that there's something in Hawaii that this girl wants. <laughs> yeah, it's so good to hear uh, in your voice. The emotions, I can, yeah, the, the emotion. The emotions after that. And, and, uh, and okay, now you've finished your dream. And so what's next? <laughs> now you've achieved what you've always yeah. dreamt of. And so what is next? I think next is, well, I'll, I'll still, I would love to go to Kona. I love it so much to go more and more. And every year I'd love to qualify again and, and make it there at the start line. But I think passing this knowledge and this experience and my lessons that I've learned in all these years, and, and they're not just, they're beyond the race. There's something bigger than the race. They're just lessons of, of the essence of life and, and your goals and your dreams and not to give up and, and it, passing this to to new athletes, passing, passing this to the community around, inspiring them to never stop uh, dreaming, never stop, uh, never let anyone define your dream. Your dream is your dream, it's no one else. And could you just um, in, like enlighten me on who your triathlon heroes are? Who, who did you love to meet when you were in Kona? Who were you? So, Dave Scott, Dave of Scott. course. Dave Scott <laughs> is my ultimate. <laughs> And did you get but to meet him? the ones, you know, uh, when you look at it and, and you see, like, we amateur athletes, who do we, um, who do we aspire? People that, athletes that, that we can connect with. Mm. Not just, you know, not ones that just train 24-7 and they've got no life and this is all they do. We want to connect with people that have a similar issues like us, that have a family, that have got kids, that have to manage something else, that have got a business. And, and how they can, they're our role models, they're who... Uh, we like to connect with. Mm. I love to, like everyone that I met, I think was inspiring. The fact that they made it there yeah. is to me a huge accomplishment, whether you're an amateur or whether you're the top professional. And were you able to meet Dave in Kona? Oh yes, Dave knows me well. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I reminded him of myself every time I, <laughs> I passed. He's a very humble man. He would have enjoyed that. <laughs> So do you encourage your team to lead an active and healthy lifestyle? I mean, you talked about sponsoring different sport events, but do they get involved as well? I think just being, I honestly think is, uh, if you are a good role model, 
you just uh, just by being present there you inspire them so they all all my uh, you know the doctors that work with me they all really get excited when they do something sporty or then when they set a goal or something they just come and talk to me about a challenge that they have or you know that they want to do this but they don't know how to do it or they want to do a 5k or want to do a 10k or just want to be healthy or they don't like their lifestyle right now so i think it's just setting an example it's very good and so do you have any rituals or habits that you do each day to ensure that you bring your a game or the best version of yourself Yes, and, and I've evolved through the years. So what I was 15 years ago, is I'm a, I'm a different, uh, I've evolved to hopefully become a better person now. <laughs> you have to ask the people around me. <laughs> so I've learned to uh, relax a little bit more, be less uptight if things don't happen the way I want them. Do you really but think the kids try... say that to you? <laughs> Oh, well, well you've got to ask them. <laughs> but I like to start my, way, my day. My part of, big part of my ritual is, is to start my day meditating and praying and just set the intention of what you want to achieve on this day. It's a, it's a great way. And at night, being, being grateful. Every morning I write my list of what I'm grateful for. And every night before I go to sleep, I remind myself of, of how grateful to be able at least to do what I love. I've had years when I was injured, when I just looked at people running, and I looked at them like, oh my God, I, I wish I could just run a little bit, but I just can't because I'm injured. So being grateful to be healthy, to do whatever you want, this is the biggest gift that we can, um, we can have. Such a great approach to life. We all know that smart people have great answers, but the best people have great questions. So when was the last time you did something for the first time? Kona was the first time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good answer. I like that one. <laughs> and then I remember the first day I swam there. And I'm like, oh, this is nice and calm. Where is the swell that everyone's talking about? <laughs> and the next day it was there. So, so to me, every time you... Uh, Kona, I think, was a challenge. Like I, I went there thinking... Uh, I'm ready, I'm prepared, and, and I was humbled. I was humbled by the energy of the island. I was humbled by the conditions. And in two, three days, I'm like, okay, let's finish and, and do the best we can. <laughs> Drop any expectations. So if, um, obviously taking Kona out of the equation on this next question, but what would be one place that you would like to go and race? Uh, Roth. Roth, yeah. That is on that is on my but I didn't want to do Roth before doing Kona. <laughs> but Challenge Roth is one of the other races that I would love to do. I try always when I do an Ironman. It, to me it's more about the experience. So so I'd like to embrace the condition, the energy of the place, learn about the culture. So I, I try to always do uh, races in different countries, different regions. And who has made the greatest impact on your career and why? I've had, I've honestly had a lot of people that I've learned from through, through the years, you know, the coaches that I've worked with. I've learned something from each and every one. Uh, I work now with, a, with an amazing uh, ex-professional athlete, um, Christine Fletcher, and I've learned a lot from her. She's, we're of a similar age. Uh, she's of course, you know, she's a she's an ex-professional. So I did learn quite a bit from her how to approach uh, training. What does that mean to life, and how how to balance between training and the rest of your life? You can't 
it's different hats, as I said, and and you have to wear all hats equally, because otherwise you won't be a happy individual. It's all about balance. It's all about doing the best you can, given the conditions that you have, and that's all you can ask for. So, Dina, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. It's brought back a lot of great memories from my time in Saudi Arabia and having some great conversations with you there. You know, some great take-homes from today, you know, about the importance of of wearing your different hats and making sure that you're in that moment and that you're focusing on the hat that you're wearing at that time and just allowing the rest of it just to sit idle until you move into that space. Um, You've described a wonderful business structure and it sounds like everyone has a lot of fun there and you're really thinking about the customer and what makes them happy, what makes them relaxed when they're in that situation of what some may describe as the murder house or a scary place to be when they're getting their their teeth cleaned and looked after. Um, You have such a wonderful approach on life and it's just great to feel that the essence that you have and that drive that you have to continue to challenge yourself and set example for other people and try and bring them up. So I look forward to seeing what you do in helping more females and more people in Saudi Arabia and the surrounding regions become more active and healthy in the future. So thank you, Dina, very, very much for your your time today. And uh, hopefully we get to see each other soon in the next um, next few months or years. Thank you. Thank you. That I, it, It's a true uh, delight to be on your show. I watched or I listened to your other episodes. You do a great job. I wish you the best of success. And I hope to see you in Saudi Arabia soon. Uh, thank you. It's yeah, very well, nice of you. We'll have to we'll have to second Ben yeah. and taking him to a different part of the world he hasn't been yet. Yep, absolutely. Looking <laughs> right, forward to it. Both of you. Yeah. Both of you. You have my invitation. Oh, thank, well, thank you very you. much. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. This week's active CEO wellness tip is around: uh, Have you got rhythm in your life? Yeah. So you know, do you do you listen to music? You know, what sort of music gets you in the groove? when you're out training or when you're relaxing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's certainly um, a a well-documented and good science behind uh, what music can bring to your life um, in a deeper sense. And even that sort of, I guess, shallow, so to speak, uh, training type music is one thing, but really that relaxation and that um, real calmness is probably an important thing from my mind. Yeah, I know there's certain music that gives me kind of a meditative type state, whereas there's others that just get you pumped up and the adrenaline's flowing and nothing like a bit of ACDC when you're, when you're out on the bike and you're charging up a hill, Ben. <laughs> I don't know about that one, Craig, but I must admit that my interest is um, pricked a little bit about the music in the water nowadays. They've got some speakers that you can listen to while you swim, and I've also seen the, um, the wireless or the Bluetooth uh, ear pods that go in when you swim too and I've never experimented with that but it would probably be quite different wouldn't it yeah it is you know when we we're in Taiwan we had underwater speakers and I used to love it when it was not in the pool and get the fins on it and just go underwater for ages and it was just so relaxing and um, I tried training with music in the you know the waterproof earpieces and I found it okay but I'm a very methodical type trainer or especially was then I used to be counting rhythms I very focused on my technique and it was something that that's how I like to swim. Mm. Um, so I kind of found music a bit of a distraction, I, unless I was doing a really long type swim effort where I you know, didn't have to worry about too much around what my technique was doing or pace times or anything like that. Mm. You can certainly use the music along that metronome type um, theory. 
uh, to give you good rhythm and just sort of keep you in the groove. Oh, and, and you see that obviously with you know, at gyms, yep. right? That's what they use for so things like body pump and um, you know the, the other different types of aerobic t- uh, sorry sessions that they that they pull together, group training sessions, and mm. that's what gets people going. And I, I know a lot of people wouldn't would never get out and do exercise unless they have music. Yeah, yep. So just, I guess our message here is there's uh, many different people and many different styles of music, and uh, to find the style that really motivates uh, you in whatever sense that happens to be. So whether it's trying to be calm or with rhythm or to drive you and pick you up, it's quite, um, it's quite an uh, important component of what you can do. Definitely, and, and I think also you've got to just make sure that the sound level is appropriate for your surroundings. You know, yeah. you, the last thing you want is it to be pumping through your ears and you're riding through intersections and things like yeah. that and you kind of get yeah. distracted and obviously you want to know what's going on. You know, that situational awareness is obviously number one. Absolutely crucial. It's been another great podcast and and what what an amazing treat to be talking to the beautiful um, Dr. Dina Al-Tayyib today from Saudi Arabia. Uh, Just a a beaming light of energy and enthusiasm and passion for everything she does. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was really amazed about, Craig, and we spoke to Susie Hoytink in episode five, I believe, uh, and she runs a Clear Complexions uh, clinic here in Australia. And the parallels between their business and their care and their, their real vibe and their motivation to um, put the customer first and make the customer feel part of their family as the core component of their business, uh, it was amazing. Oh, they, yeah. It was. It was yeah. so surreal, actually. And, you know, she, you can see that. And, and I know when I met her as well, family was so important. And, and mm. she did really, really care about the community and about just people in general. And that really shone through in the way that she approaches her business, the way she teaches and being involved in triathlon. She loves being around and learning everyone's journeys and stories about why they're there and how their race went, which is pretty cool. And there's no surprise uh, from either Susie or Dina about why their business has uh, such successes. You know, it's amazing. Oh, very successful. And, mm. you know, so I, I liked as well. I think she, you know, she's started to unravel a little bit around how she deals with challenges and obstacles and a bit of adversity and her resilience to that. And I think that has, each time she goes through an Ironman event or a challenge, it makes her stronger. It makes her understand things a lot better, doesn't it? You can really feel that shine through. Oh, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that we did forget to speak about with Dina was um, her uh, Instagram handle, her Arabian Tri-Eagle. Um, and I know that she is really proud of the things that she does and she really uh, engages with social media, which is um, another thing that comes across all the leaders that we speak to. Uh, everybody's really engaged in their social, social media for the right reasons. It's just not a selling point. Yeah, she tells me, you know, look, that eagle is, has been a strong presence in her life and it's, it's her spirit animal. In it. So that's where the Arabian Triangle comes from. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't always, you know, think of, I suppose, females in Saudi Arabia being in a leading position or taking a role in the way society works. But you can see she's really passionate about getting more people more active and, and especially in those female um, side of things. And I know she does fun runs and, you know, just getting people more active, which is yeah. exciting Craig, to see. Craig, I know that you've spent quite a bit of time there and I've never spent time there. And it certainly now interests me. Uh, but do they have the park run type events there? No, no. no. Well, they may do now. I mean, yeah. in previous, it's 
it's a place where communal gatherings wasn't accepted. Right. And so generally, and, and, and people didn't exercise that much either. Mm. Um, and if they did, it was maybe inside their compound or in a gym or something like that. And that's obviously for cultural, but there's also environmental. It's too, too it can hot. It get very hot there. Yep. I, I know one day I was there, it was 55 degrees. Mm. And very dry though. So it gets hot, but very, very dry. Uh, except for maybe six weeks in summer, which I wasn't there, where it gets very humid. Mm. And, and I'm sure that's a very challenging time. Um, it's actually very pleasant in, in the middle of their winter. It's got very mild nights and, and obviously with no humidity, it's just it's a real, mm. it's really, easy, really easy to sleep. It's easy to go and train at that time of year, um, but a challenge to go outside. I mean, I know cycling there is pretty dangerous. Mm. <laughs> it's imagine. not that fun with so many cars around and probably not as observant or respectful to cyclists as they are in many other parts of the world um, so yeah so another great episode um, that was the active ceo podcast with ordinary don't belong join the active ceo movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com that's nrg number two perform.com share this podcast on linkedin and be sure to tag in nrg to perform leave a review on itunes Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.